All right, I want to um, just massage a text a little bit. It won't hold you long. Uh, Galatians, the fourth chapter, and the 19th verse. And what's happening here, the church at Galatia is compromising, and uh, they're being affected by people that are trying to pull them away from God. And what he says in verse 19, my little children, chapter 4, Galatians, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Let me repeat it again. My little children, here I am again, Paul is saying, travailing in birth until Christ be formed in you. Here Paul is agonizing over the people of God because of their lack of spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. And listen again to the way Paul describes his pain. He said, I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That expression and that text is the cry of every true pastor, every spiritual leader, every church worker, every Christian parent, when it comes to seeing their congregations or their families or their friends or their children or their congregations mature in Christ. It's the burden of every spiritual leader that is a true spiritual leader and every parent. What you want to see more than anything is Christ to be formed in the heart and the life of that loved one or that child or that husband or that wife. And this is what Paul is doing here. And throughout the whole Bible, we see over and over, Old and New Testament, this agonizing frustration and we see it in Moses. Moses went through terrible times with the people of Israel. Uh, Joshua, the prophets, Jeremiah, he cried unto the people over and over again. He, so, he said, oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. And he was trying to see God become more formed in, in the lives of those that they were dealing with in the Old Testament. Also the apostles, disciples, and of course our Lord himself. And even up to this very date, there are pastors, there are families, there are church leaders that are agonizing and hoping that they could see Christ formed in the, those that they love. This sense of hope and joy that the character of Christ will be developed in the lives of those they are trying to save. And what hinders this thing from happening? What hinders spiritual maturity and growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? You know are many things, hundreds of things are hindering us from uh, learning about Christ and growing in Christ. And let me say right here, any believers who want to rise spiritually and mature and have Jesus transformed in their lives and measure up to a holiness lifestyle, they must want that kind of life more than anything. If it's not our deepest desire when we come to Christ to want to be like Christ, 
and to act like Christ and to talk like Christ, if it's not our desire to want to be pure like Christ, then there's a good chance we never will be. It must be the deepest desire of every believer who encounters Christ to want to be like him in spite of the millions who say it's impossible. You talk to people about living a good life, living a righteous life, living a holy life, and that world out there will throw it up in your face every time. It's impossible. Nobody can be like Christ. Nobody can be perfect. And yet the Bible says, be ye holy, for I am holy. The Bible says all kinds of things that we ought to be without blame here and there in the Bible. We are an exhausted society of copycats and wannabes who lust to want to be like every diva, every icon, every superstar, everybody who comes down the pike that's got a little flare, a little flash, who comes down the pike regardless of their character. Why is it that the majorities want to emulate and imitate and follow those that are immoral instead of those that are moral. Why do you think they want to? Because Jesus hit the nail right on the head when he said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. People don't want to deny themselves what they see, what they lust after, what they want, and if it's a diva or it's an icon or if it's this one or that one and they got the morals of an alley cat but they got all the flair and they're saying all the worldly things, then our generations by the millions want to emulate them, want to follow them. And the reason that Christ is not as popular is because the people out here today don't want to say no to their flesh. They don't want to deny their flesh. They don't want to go through that strain and that stress of trying to meet the requirements of God. But the consequences are severe for those who don't want to follow the Lord. And now we have generations of young and old who don't know right from wrong. People that don't want to deny themselves and don't want to follow the Lord, the only path for them to follow is darkness. And so they've all lost their identity, like we've mentioned 50 times. They don't know who they are, and they don't even know what they are. And they don't even know what their purpose is. They don't even know whether a man or a woman or both can have babies. I mean, it's insane. And what's happened is, because they had not a love for the truth, God turned them over, right? And now they rather believe a lie and be damned, and that's what's going to happen to them. When you reject the Lord, when you turn your back on the word of God, there's nowhere and no other place for you to go than, than, than down. They don't even know who they are or what they are. And what follows is confusion, darkness, 
and all manner of perversion. So when we look out and we see all the things that are going on, all the stupid things, all the things that our leaders are trying to say, you know, and they're trying to change the meaning of everything. They're trying to change the meaning of humanity. They're trying to change the meaning of terms. Have you noticed how they're trying to change the meaning of recession? Trying to tell you what it is and what it isn't. They're turning everything upside down and they want you to forget about your history, forget about your values, forget about your principles, forget about your religious upbringing, forget about God, and let us show you a better way. And it's the blind leading the blind, and they're all going to fall into the ditch. Time is running out on this old world. I ran into a man down in, and I don't ever stop for these people on the street corners. I ran into a man, and my wife and I were walking in Frisch, Frisch just a few days ago, and there was this guy that had a shopping cart. It was piled on the bottom, piled on the top, and he had a little leash, and I, I walked by him, and I was wondering what was at the end of the leash, and there was a cat. And the cat looked healthier than he did. And uh, it, it was in the sun. And I said to him, I said, you know, it might help if you uh, just go over there and get under the tree. It'd be a lot easier for you and the cat. And to be honest with you, I mean, I'm confessing, I felt more sorry for the cat than I did him. And I, I shouldn't say that, but, you know, I, I, I actually felt sorry for both of them. But I'm an animal lover. And, uh, and I love people too, but not as much as I love animals. <laughs> anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. So anyway, the guy said to me, well, he said, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get some water and food. And he had a little food for the cat. And he says, I'm trying to get some water and trying to get some food. And I went in and I talked to the waitress and the waitress, I said to the waitress, what's going on with the guy out there? She said, well, they, you know, somebody came in and said, I'll pay for a meal for this guy and give the cat something as well. But they didn't have, a, all the cooks weren't there. They only had one cook. The place was getting crowded. Had to wait a half hour for you to get your food. So I ate and went outside and there he was, and he had finally went across the street. And so I pulled the car up to him, and uh, no, I didn't. I said, what, what I did is I went to McDonald's, and I got a quarter pounder, you know, cheese, all that, and, and deluxe, whatever it was. And I brought it back to him, and I sat it down. I said, look, I'm going to get something for the cat, too. So I went, and I bought a bag of uh, Puss in Boots or whatever it is, Friskies, and I brought it back to him. And so I didn't know what to think about the guy. And he was very disheveled. He was, uh, he was very unkempt. The cat was immaculate. The cat looked like he was living the life of Riley. And I got to talking to him. And I said, are you homeless? He wouldn't answer me. He said, well, my truck has been impounded, and it needs a water pump, but I can fix the water pump myself, 
but it's going to be $150 for me to get, and that was my cue, to get my truck uh, out of Hawk, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and, and I said, um, well, I said, uh, do, do you, who you work for? He said, I'm with the NSA. And I said, the NSA? He says, yeah, you know who the NSA is? The National Security Agency, you know. So then I knew, you know, then I knew. And uh, he says, uh, I said, well, why don't you call your company and let them know that your truck has been impounded so you can get it out and then you can live in your truck? He said, well, he said, look, he says, I got a whole bunch of important papers and he showed me his computer underneath and he says, I got to do important paperwork here and this and that. And, uh, you know, he went on and on and he was starting to sharpshoot a little bit. And I said, well, look, I, I said, uh, and the first thing he said to me when I brought him the food was, God bless you. And um, so I said, well, look, God bless you. And uh, I said, take care of your cat. And uh, what I'm trying to say is, here's a guy that desperately needed help. but he wouldn't own his condition. He wouldn't own the fact that the reason that he was down and out is because he was not on the level. He wasn't being honest. That's where a lot of religious people are today. And the scripture hit me like a ton of, brook, a ton of, a ton of bricks. If that light that's in you and he's telling me he's the NSA and he's doing all this important uh, paperwork and he's writing up things about all the people and this and that. And I thought, this guy in no way is a part of the NSA. But I guess what I'm trying to say is you can't get anywhere and you can't get out of any hole if you're not honest with yourself and you're not honest with God. I felt sorry for him, but that's the first time I've done that in a long time. I don't regret it. But every generation has its oppositions to spiritual progress. And while evil takes all kinds of different forms in different ages, the longer a nation morally decays, the more difficult it's going to be for our generations to overcome. And this is the heart of Christianity that every convert, what Paul says here, that every convert might become like Christ through the process of spiritual transformation. The whole bottom line of Christianity is you and I getting saved and having the Holy Spirit come into us and the Word and the Spirit go to work on us and make us like little Jesuses running around. The whole purpose of Christianity is to bring us up to a God level and to live a life like the Savior lived. And we are instructed, walk as he walked, who knew no sin, neither wasn't all that nastiness in his mouth. We are encouraged to follow Christ 
to look to Christ, to be like Christ, so that we can get to heaven one day. This verse is one of the best descriptions we have in the Bible to describe the Christian journey. Throughout entire lives, we are being changed, set apart, and reformed over and over and over again, as I said by the Word in the Spirit. Jesus expressed it this way in John 17, praying to the Father, asking God to bless these people. And the last thing Jesus was saying to his Father was, Sanctify him, Father, through thy truth, thy word is truth. And he said, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil of the world. Jesus expressed it this way in John 17, sanctify him through the truth, thy word is truth. The Holy Spirit, the word of God, takes us through a process of maturing and integrates the likeness of Christ in our hearts and minds. Jesus himself, in his human life, you ever stop to think about this? Took many years to develop his own character. While he was present during the creation of the world, he was the one that spoke everything into existence. Yet, he allowed himself to go through the influence of being under earthly parents. He allowed himself to go through childhood. He allowed himself to be and listen to the rabbis. He allowed himself to be baptized by John the Baptist. He allowed himself the Spirit, right after he was confirmed by God, this is my Son in whom I'm uh, well pleased, hear him. And he allowed himself to let the Spirit lead him into the wilderness to be tested and tried. He allowed himself to be betrayed. He allowed himself to be under temptations and rejections and etc. and etc. And through the whole process, he learned to listen more closely to the Father. He learned to be led more closely by the Spirit. He learned to grow strong in emotional maturity and spiritual maturity through suffering. Paul said that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and in his pain and in his suffering. And those are the things that build us up and make us and prepare us for the kinds of things we got to deal with in this world. And how can we do all these things? We can do it because Jesus offers us the strength. How can you go through? How can David go through a funeral of his own son? Because God will give him the strength. God will give him the grace. When my mother died here, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if I'd be able to deal with it. But I knew God would give me the grace. And he gave me the strength. God will never leave us. As long as we're square with God, as long as we're honest with God, as long as we're doing our best to be like his son, 
He'll never leave us nor forsake us. This is the most difficult, and I'm going to close here. This is the most difficult work of spiritually maturing. What is that? Because changing old habits and ways is not easy. It's painful sometimes. It's uncomfortable sometimes for you and I to change our patterns and our lifestyles. Every convert comes to Christ, but there is that period of time where you hold your breath and you wait to see if they're going to let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God start to change their habits, change their ways, change their little um, uh, cursing, change their little smoking, change their little drinking. Because God wants all of us to look like, act like, and be like his son. And when those patterns and those habits are changed, when they start to get established in our lives, we begin to do what God wants done in our lives. He wants you and I to mirror, mirror the character and the ways of Jesus. And when you begin to see that the, when you begin to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to start changing you and start cleaning you up, oh, it's a wonderful thing. And then you realize that that's really rewarding. Whatever changes God makes in our lives, and as you and I are being sanctified and set apart for the rest of our lives, we're getting closer and closer to heaven. We're looking more and more like Jesus. We're acting more and more like Jesus. It looks like eternity and going to heaven's going to be a cinch. What do you mean? We begin, there's people that get saved and they still don't like people. But then when the word of God and the spirit of God goes to work on them, they begin to mirror God's love. They begin to show love for others. They even begin to love their enemies. They begin to love a lost world. And they mirror kindness and compassion and all the virtues and characters of Christ. Growing in Christ means labor pains. This is what Paul's talking about. That's what Paul's saying in our text. The Galatian church was straying away from God, and Paul reminded them, you're putting me through birth, through travailing now, to, to see Christ formed in you, and reminded them that they were slipping away. Pastors, parents, church workers, everybody, all go through this struggle to teach and incorporate the character of Christ into their converts. I think one of the most difficult tasks that a pastor, an evangelist, parents have, leaders have, is trying to incorporate faithfulness, good behavior, honesty, 
in those that they're mentoring, in those that they're raising, in those that they're pastoring. And it's frustrating. It's a struggle to see children not catching on and parishioners not catching on and failing here and failing there, pastors, parents, church workers, it is a struggle. And sometimes it becomes weary, but don't ever give up. Keep struggling. Keep praying for your children. Keep demonstrating before your children. Don't let them see anything out of your lifestyle, hear anything come out of your mouth that would give the devil fuel to get inside of their heads. God loves us all too much to leave us where he found us. That's why he gave us gifts and callings to the church to nurture new believers to become like Christ. Paul says, I travailed in birth until Christ be formed in you. The word form comes from the word sanctification. You all know we are justified before God when we get saved. It's that once-in-a-lifetime moment when we initially accept Christ. And it's always in the past tense when a believer accepts Christ. But sanctification is that lifelong process that follows justification. Now, if you backslide, you got to go through justification again. But it's always in the past tense. It's a one-time shot. You, you repent, you give your heart to God, you become legally justified in the eyes of God. But after that, the rest of your life, you are being set apart. God's working on us. We don't go from being born again and the next day we are demonstrating a full character and a full motivations of Christ. I don't know how long it took you to get off the ground, but it took me a while. I had to flap my wings good to get off the ground. I still had habits. I still had ways. I had still had things in my mind that were not Christ-like. I was saved, but... God began to chip away through this one and that one, through the word of God, through prayer, through the spirit of God. And then following sanctification is glorification. When we get our new body. Well, we'll get a spirit first. And we won't get our new body until Jesus comes back. And then those that are in the grave... They're going to come out with new bodies. Somebody said, what about the people that were vaporized and atomic and those that were eaten by alligators and sharks? Everything's going to let go of a new body. And that new body's going to be joined with that spirit and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's the heartbeat of every parent, every true pastor every gospel worker to see their converts, their friends to grow in spiritual maturity. 
And there is a key word in the Bible that captures the manifestation of all this sanctification. And that one word, who can guess what it is? What is the one word that ties it all together? It starts with an O. O-B. Thank you. Obedience. That's right. Vance Havner said once, here's the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and teaching them everything, everything I have commanded. And everybody started amening and shouting, amen, we agree, thank the Lord. And then Havner said, wait a minute, I left out one key word. Jesus said, teaching them to obey my commandments. My wife told me when we got married, I'm not going to say obey. I said, well, Brother Wilson's marrying us. You're going to say it because he's going to ask you. And he looked at my wife and he said, uh, you know, you, you need to, you know, obey your husband. And I said to my wife, what were you doing? She says, I had my fingers behind me and they were all crossed, all four of them. You can't get around God. John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. 1 John 2, 3, we know this is all obedience, the big O. We know that we have come to know him. How do we come to know that we know him? If we keep his commandments. Jesus said in Luke 6, Why call me ye Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Over and over again, the whole emphasis, the bottom line to Christianity is growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's growing up together. Vance Havner said before he died, Oh God, don't let me become an old fool. Let me die before I ever lose my influence and mess up much of the good I have been able to do. That's what you say all the time, Sherm. You keep saying, God, just hold me. Don't, 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 don't let me mess up in old age. And we're all saying it now. We're all saying it. It's a struggle. It's not as easy as a lot of people think. People say Christianity's for kids and old ladies, and that's it. And I want to say to the world, well, then go ahead and try to love your enemies. You're killing each other every day. Why don't you just try to love them now? Go ahead and forgive your enemies. Go ahead and give to the Lord what you owe him. Christianity is not for old ladies and children. It's for the best and the strongest and the most determined and the ones that love God the most. Those are the only ones that are going to be like Jesus. You've got to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, 
and you need to love your neighbor as yourself or you'll never make it. Thank God for all the good teaching, the good training. I don't know when, but probably in the near future, I'm going to get a hold of Brother Yoder, and I want him to come down and preach on holiness and make it clear a lot of Church of God people still don't understand holiness, still don't understand what's sin and what's not sin. And I want him to come down for three Sundays, and what I want to do is just take a love offering for him after those three Sundays and have him teach us about how so many people are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And what what Paul say in Romans, the sixth chapter, what did he say? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know how many preachers are saying just the opposite from their pulpits? They're saying grace, grace, it's grace, it's hyper grace, it's super grace, grace, grace. And then get up and say at the same breath, I sin, you sin, we're all sinners. No, no, Paul just said, what shall we say then? Shall we, turn, shall we continue to sin so we can brag that grace is going to abound? Grace is going to overlook our disobedience? There ain't no grace of God anywhere that's going to overlook disobedience. It's that simple. And it's so important, he said it again. What then, verse 15, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Again, he said, God forbid. So I want him to come and, and I want to get as, most out, as much as we can out of his brain before he leaves this world. He's got some valuable teaching and he has proven that he is a faithful servant of God.